Bashir claims a record number of jobs filled, while Cameron says less people are working than when Bashir took office. Who is right? We'll dig into that. Fox 56 publishes an article showing the most blatant example of confirmation bias I've seen in quite some time. And as another school district has closed due to illnesses, we'll talk about the uh, still growing concern about mandates and I'll discuss what exactly can the government here in Kentucky do or not do. We'll have all that and more today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Before we dig into it, please make sure you comment, like, subscribe. If you're listening to this on YouTube, subscribe. Facebook, you follow. Twitter, you follow. And of course, retweet or re-X or share or comment or whatever you need to do to help spread the word. And if you're listening to this in the podcast form, and podcast is available on all major platforms, including iHeart, uh, Amazon, uh, Apple, Spotify, most recently Pandora. Didn't even know they had podcasts, but somebody told me and I added it on there. So feel free to check that out there if you're listening to this in the video formats elsewhere and you want to hear uh, the show on the go a little bit better. And if you're listening to it in the podcast form, please remember to leave a five-star review and let everybody know how much you love the show. So without further ado, uh, let's dig into it. So Bashir has uh, recently and regularly claimed that there is a record number of Kentuckians who are employed right now in Kentucky. In fact, you may have heard this in some of his campaign ads, campaign speeches, uh, and conversations generally going around. But Cameron has said a few times now that there's actually less people employed than when Bashir took office. But who is right? Well, where did this stat come from? So one, and, and this is going to be, I guess, an overarching theme of this segment, the next segment is we got to look at how we pick and choose our stats to make them say what we want them to say. And we got to figure out where they're coming from. And in this case, Bashir is claiming that more Kentuckians are working than before due to a U.S. Bureau of Labor statistic showing that Kentucky business leaders reported they have approximately a total of 2,009,500 non- farm employees as of April, which that would certainly be, if 2 million people were employed, that would certainly be a record number of people employed. And that would certainly be a claim Bashir could make uh, that would be accurate in at, at its face value. Um, but however, if 2 million were actually employed, we'd also be seeing that since uh, Bashir took office, um, we've seen an increase in workforce participation rate. And that would be a gigantic claim he'd be making is saying, I've actually improved workforce participation rate, especially as the biggest knock on what's going on in our government right now from a lot of people's workforce participation. And especially as they're talking about economies growing, they would actually cite uh, to say that, hey, there's just there's more people working. We're providing them more opportunities. So people are getting off that couch. They're getting to work. That's all we need to do because a regular attack, of course, on Bashir has been the way he's handled entitlement spending, how he kept the unemployment kicker in too long after COVID and how he unemployed a bunch of people during COVID. And that would be a great statistic to claim. But he doesn't claim that. And it's almost like he knows he is lying. And how is he lying? Well, that count that the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics is giving is not the number of people employed. It is the number of workers employed. 
And that can mean that people who work two or three jobs can be double or triple counted in the statistic. So in fact, that statistic is not representing how many people are working. It is representing how many jobs are filled. Now, how many people are actually working? Well, there's actually 30,000 less people working in Kentucky than when Bashir took office. 30,000. Which actually paints a darker picture on his claim of a record here uh, off the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Because what it would mean is that with fewer people working but more of, of these workers' jobs being filled, that means more and more people are actually having to work second and third jobs. Now, I don't know about you, but that certainly wouldn't be a great economic claim I would make if I was trying to run on how amazing I am at handling the economy. I wouldn't sit there and say, under my administration, more people than ever before have had to work second and third jobs. That isn't exactly an accomplishment, but what Bashir has done, and in fact, it's the exact opposite, but Bashir has done is taking what should be a negative that people are feeling the need to work more and more jobs, that people are feeling that stress, that people have that desire, and he's turned it into a positive by manipulating the data. In fact, our workforce participation rate is lower than when he took office. As I said earlier, 30,000 less people are working since he's taken office, and more people are working second and third jobs. That certainly doesn't sound like an economy that's winning for the people. He can look at the stats and say, look at these numbers. They're going up, up, and up. But this is another point where he is being dishonest because our inflation rate has also been going up, up, and up. If everybody just kept at the same economic production level, but everything was 12% more expensive, well, then your economy at the state level would certainly look like it's grown 12%. And this as well, he also points at things like the amount of revenues going into our uh, state funds and, and the surpluses and how we're pulling more in, in tax revenues than what we were supposed to. Now, I've covered ad nauseum in this podcast about how I feel uh, when the government brings in more tax dollars than it was supposed to and how this shouldn't be a reward and this shouldn't be something that we elect, re-elect people for. This should be something that we punish them for doing because they have taken in more of our money than they are supposed to. But regardless, regardless, Bashir's claim of bringing in that money, one, it's offset by inflation. And then two, of course, the policies that have brought that in were created by the legislature and actually vetoed by Bashir in many cases. So this isn't the first time. And it, and it makes you wonder as he's grasping at good data straws to throw in the face of Cameron how uh, that actually works out for him in the long run because there's people like you and of course Cameron of course can speak up but there's people like us who can speak up and call out those kinds of numbers for what they are ridiculous and absolutely not accurate at all well speaking of manipulating uh data fox 56 ran this crazy article it's technically i think from the hill but it was Fox 56 then reposts it. So it's like this deal that news companies have where they can repost uh, other people's articles as if it's their own articles if they're paying a certain amount. So Fox 56 has decided to run this article citing crazy data in order to justify a far-left position on transgenderism. 
And we'll be talking a whole lot more about that right after this short break. Now, Fox 56 has ran an article called The Most States in the South Have Banned Gender-Affirming Care for Trans Youth. Now, in the article, uh, they go over how the South has been a quote-unquote hotbed of anti-transgender legislation. They use a lot of derogatory terms, of course, for the South in it. What I mean by that is, well, I guess the the idea of cooking up the terminology in hate-filled areas, so on and so forth, Funny for a news organization that's in the South to speak that way about it, but you know nobody's going to push back on them. But in this article, they claim uh, that the South is only passing legislation because Republican majorities are in the in the state legislature and they have uh, um, they've gerrymandered and suppressed the vote. And this is a direct quote from the article. They say that. Uh, Although most voters have vocalized their support of LGBTQ inclusive policies, gerrymandering and voter suppression in the South have made it more difficult to vote in in elected officials who actually share their preferences and their beliefs. So their claim is that it's not that our ideas are unpopular. It is that the mean old Republicans have gerrymandered things in such a way that our ideas uh, that are popular with the vast majority can't be passed because, you know, they've pushed us to the side. Now, of course, that doesn't really make a whole lot of logical sense when you think about it. Obviously, they point at uh, uh, voter suppression. Um, You know, last I checked uh, in this country, people apparently get prosecuted for making claims about elections. Um, you know, at least that's what the new normal is. And so uh, claiming voter suppression in the South, I, I can't think of a single way that Kentucky has enacted voter suppression. I do remember during, this is real funny, uh, during this last election, um, I was listening to the radio. I was listening to uh, Kentucky's uh, public radio because sometimes my dial accidentally finds itself on that. And I was listening to people call in with voter suppression claims. And one claim that there was a truck parked outside the polling location that was covered in American flags. And that made her feel uh, intimidated. So a truck with American flags made her feel that her vote was being suppressed. But anyways, putting that suppression to the side, they claim that they can't get in people who actually agree with the majority. Now, that's a pretty big claim to make because what what they're saying is, is that most voters have vocalized their support of LGBTQ policies. In fact, that would be, uh, depending on how you're wrapping that together, that would be maybe the first survey I've ever heard of that actually indicates the majority of voters agree with any kind of this transgender gender theory BS stuff that's been going on. Now, of course, um, as the transgender groups have been doing, they're using the more so um, allowances, I guess you could say, or or general societal okayness that people have with the LG and I guess B part, the lesbian and gay part, where, you know, most people look at that and say, look, just leave me alone. I leave you alone. You leave me alone. We're all being left alone. In fact, the only point of contention is, generally speaking, regarding the marriage aspect of things, whether it's stepping on religious rights to make a place marry gay people. And of course it is. But, you know, those have been the arguments. There hasn't actually been any arguments otherwise about lesbian or gay couples. 
But they're riding on, of course, the lesbian and gay side of things to be able to push the other far left ideas. And so in this big claim, they cite a survey. The article goes on to say, and recent surveys suggest the majorities of voters oppose legislation banning gender affirming health care for transgender minors and more than 60% of voters in a data for progress poll conducted in March said there is too much legislation aimed at limiting the rights of transgender and gay people in America. Now that sounds pretty interesting. And in fact, in this article, they do provide a handy link for me to be able to look at this data, to be able to dig into it. And I wanted to take a look at a few of their claims in here. So the first claim that I want to look at um, is this one here that says more than uh, a, a majority of voters oppose legislation banning gender-affirming health care for transgender minors, and more than 60% of voters in a Data for Progress poll conducted in March said there's too much legislation aimed at limiting the rights of transgender and gay people. And of course, Data for Progress certainly sounds like a very neutral polling location. I certainly don't think they would do anything to affect the outcomes of, of their polls. But just to double-check and make sure I did grab the data from their poll. And so we're going to deal with that last claim. The majority of people are against um, legislation aimed at uh, too much. There is too much legislation limiting the rights of transgender and gay people, indicating that the legislation that conservatives all across this nation are passing, uh, these people say there's too much. So let's take a look here. So here's the question. Okay. It says, uh, question 10, there are currently 429 bills passing through the state legislatures aimed at limiting the rights of transgender and gay people in America. Which statement comes closer to your own view, even if neither is exactly right? This is too much legislation. Politicians are playing political theater and using these bills as a wedge issue. Or this is the right amount of legislation politicians are dealing with a real danger that needs to be addressed. Let's break down this question. So in this question, this is where you create an answer bias, right? So first, you're going to name there are currently 429 bills passing through state legislatures aimed at limiting the rights of transgender and gay people in America. Now, how do they get that number? Because obviously, if I'm sitting down and I'm filling out a survey and I hear there's that many bills on any issue, I may be thinking to myself, wow, this is literally ridiculous. That's, that's a lot of bills on this one issue. Um, so 429 bills. Well, what do you consider limiting the rights of transgender and gay people in America? Please name which one of those 429 bills exactly are limiting the rights of gay people in America. There might be a few of those bills that are in state legislatures where people are proposing some bill to ban maybe gay marriage, but of course we know those bills aren't moving. I actually don't see a whole lot of legislation limiting the rights of gay people. Now, maybe there's legislation protecting the religious rights of individuals, and then they're, they're misconstruing that on purpose to mean that they're attacking gay people in America because you're protecting the religious rights of Americans. But even putting that to the side, so first, they already are preparing to uh, um, 
influence the outcome of the answer by putting the number of bills and making sure it's as large as possible uh, in there, 429. Then next, they say, which statement comes closer to your own views, even if neither is exactly right? So if, if I'm looking at and saying neither are exactly right, and one response, the top response says, this is too much legislation. Politicians are playing political theater and using these bills as a wedge issue. I actually might be inclined to agree with that statement because I'd look at 429 bills and I say, we don't need that many. We need 50. One bill in each legislature that absolutely deals with all of this gets passed and then we can move on. We don't have to keep talking about this because it's been thoroughly and, and completely dealt with. But because these politicians want to play political theater and they want to uh, uh, meander their way through the issue because they want to keep being able to fundraise off the issue and they want to keep using it as, a, oh, be a scared of Democrats, vote for me even though I'm a piece of crud Republican. I just have thrown an R next to my name and now I expect you to vote for me because at least I'm better than a D, which is what we see from some Republicans. Obviously, as I've regularly stated on this show, I would never vote for a Democrat, but there are Republicans that sometimes I just, you know, you all know where I'm saying. So anyways, there are Republicans out there who feel that way, that will use Things like this, things like abortion issues, things like CRT, all kinds of other issues as wedge issues that they use to say that they're they're just using it to get themselves reelected. And so if you ask me this question, this is too much legislation, politicians are playing political theater and using these bills as a wedge issue, I might be inclined to agree with you. And then the second response option, obviously, was this is the right amount of legislation politicians are dealing with a real danger that needs to be addressed. Well, that's the right amount of legislation. Well, once again, I said earlier, I think 429 bills is too much. We only need 50, one in each state. And so obviously that question is shaped in a way where there are people like me who could read that question and answer a particular way. I always remember there was a, a, a uh, survey. I think that the um, uh, uh, American Family Association and the Family Foundation put out in Kentucky to politicians. And they always asked a question of, do you think racism is a big issue uh, um, facing America? And, you know, that's a hard question to answer with a simple yes or no. Because obviously, if I just sit there and say, yes, it is, your first thought is that I'm saying that, oh, racism, uh, you think that, you know, CRT is a good thing, that racism is a big issue, that there's a whole lot of, of white racists out there. But actually, what I think is that we're making race too big of an issue in this country. We're treating people differently based on their race way too much. We have a soft bigotry of low expectations and that across the board, that kind of racism exists and it's and it's permeated into our government. It's seeped into it. And it needs to go. Or I could answer no, and you could take that to simply mean that I don't think racism exists of any kind. And somebody like me would say, well, what about racism here in this, this issue? And so there's a question like that where people, you could claim, oh, people think racism is a big issue, and then construe that to say that people are talking about the type of racism you want it to be about, or it could be about something else. Not a very accurate poll. 
but it gets worse. It actually gets worse. So this article, remember, so it didn't just say that 60% of voters and a data for progress poll uh, said there's too much legislation in that numbers. Once again, you'll see that 64% agreed with the statement of there's too much legislation. Politicians are playing political theater and using these bills as a wedge issue. And then 25% agreed with the right amount of legislation. Politicians are dealing with real danger that needs to be addressed. Their next claim, however, is that um, a ma majorities of voters oppose legislation banning gender-affirming health care for transgender minors. I don't know where in the survey they got that from. And let me show you why. My best guess is maybe it is this question here. And I'm going to tell you why I don't know how they can claim that with a straight face and cite this poll. So they say, when thinking about transgender rights, which comes closer to your view, if neither is... Uh, even if neither is exactly right. And they said the, the government should protect the rights of transgender Americans, even if it means changing traditional family structures and social norms, or the government should prioritize traditional family structures and social norms over the rights of transgender people. And there he had 47% saying uh, they agreed the force, first statement, 42% the second statement, and 11% saying they don't know. Now, once again, this goes into a question where if you ask me about it. I don't, I don't really like government involvement in a lot of things. So obviously that would change how I'd feel uh, about certain questions, right? And it would affect how I'd look at it. I mean, even look in this poll, you can see even Republicans um, were 20% were on um, the government should protect the rights of transgender Americans, 70% uh, had a feeling, had said the government should prioritize traditional family structures and 11% said, don't know. And, you know, for me, I don't like government getting involved in a lot of traditional family structures because it can be corrupted the same way that we see the Democrats doing uh, already. But what's odd is they claim, so once again, though, I want to make sure you understand what their claim is. They claim that in this survey, majorities of voters oppose the legislation banning gender affirming health care for minors majorities of voters. And I, I don't, like I said, maybe that question was where they're pulling it from because I know it certainly couldn't be this question from the survey, the question that actually asks uh, what they're talking about. So there's a question in the survey that says, legislation preventing transgender children from pursuing medical transition and participating in sports is unfair and discriminatory towards transgender children. And then the other option was, Legislation preventing uh, transgender children from pursuing medical transition and participating in sports is necessary to ensure the safety and well-being of our children. So one says uh, the the ban on child uh, gender affirming care for children in the sense of giving them hormone blockers uh, or, or hormones and puberty blockers and surgeries is unfair and discriminatory. And the other was it is necessary and we need to do it in order to ensure the well-being and safety of our children. 48% agreed with the legislation's necessary. 38% said it was unnecessary. 48% said it was necessary. So in the same article, they're citing a survey where they're claiming that majorities of voters oppose banning gender-affirming health care for transgender minors. But in the, in, the, in the poll, in the survey that they're citing, as I just showed you, says the exact opposite the exact opposite so 
I literally, this is just a clear example of social engineering and lying. Like, how is this? How is this journalism? They ignore the most important data point to the thing they're trying to make that, oh, these Republicans are mean old and they're addressing all oh, those 429 bills. How many of them are addressing issues with minors around these transgender problems? How many of them? And if you told them how many of them, apparently the majority of them actually might change their answer. And so they're using a poorly worded survey to try to produce results to get that says what they want it to say. And then when they still get a result that isn't what they want, they just ignore it. They just make it up. They just care that they can claim they're in the right, you're in the wrong, and you need to shut up. I mean, that's that's their standard playbook. That is what they do. Well, coming up, as another school district in Kentucky is closed due to illness, Kentuckians are wondering more and more about more mandates. I know I talked about this, uh, I think, a week ago or so, but we'll go over that after this short break. All right, so we now have two school districts in Kentucky that have closed uh, due to uh, sickness. And they cite several illnesses, strep, flu, and then, of course, COVID as a reason why. And so Kentuckians are wondering, hey, you know, what's going on with these mandates? Now, a few, like I said, last week, I did talk about mandates. And I talked about how I do not believe they're going to be coming back necessarily anytime soon in Kentucky. And I stated why. And, and you know, and I really pointed out elections is the reason why. And I know people look at elections as the reason why they bring them back. They want more control so on and so forth. But going into an election, um, I think they know that that really backfire on them. I think in order to get the same um, kind of control levels that they would get from uh, COVID without there being a massive backlash, there'd have to be a whole new disease because I think a lot of people have fallen off with the belief of COVID. And I think a lot of people too don't trust the experts. And I know you walk around and you see all these normies, but I invite you someday to look at the data and stats on how many people have gone back for boosters and even second shots after getting the first shots of vaccines and so on and so forth. And what you'll see is an obvious disillusionment with what's going on and a lack of trust for sure. But I did want to go over um, you know, and, and then also, so you've got the election going on here with Cameron and Bashir and Bashir, I don't think wants anything to do with mandates because it's when he's at his lowest approval rating and him putting in place any mandates would certainly energize the base. And then at the federal level, I don't think they really want a whole lot of mandates because obviously that would hurt, um, Biden. But regardless, when it comes to Kentucky, um, you know, can Bashir lock us down? Well, only so far as basically our Republican legislature allows it for Bashir to, on his own, necessarily decide uh, using force. And this gets a little sticky here, okay? So currently, before, during the first pandemic uh, situation, uh, Andy Bashir could claim a uh, state of emergency indefinitely. And during a state of emergency, the governor is allowed to suspend laws. And that's what allowed Bashir to do everything that he did. He suspended all laws and he was allowed to do whatever he wanted because it was during a state of emergency. And so, and he's able to also too then mandate things like the mass and other 
situations. There are still some laws that held him back or constitutional issues that held him back a bit. But generally speaking, there was no limiter um, because he was allowed to just declare a state of emergency, keep that indefinitely, and be able to suspend laws. But our legislature, when they came back in the session, uh, passed a law saying that Andy could claim a state of emergency for 30 days. And then after that, if he wants to continue the state of emergency, uh, he has to call the legislature into session, and then the legislature has to vote to continue the state of emergency. So it gives the legislature more oversight over what Andy Bashir is doing. And that would cause a lot of Republicans, because we're in a Republican majority state, to say, okay, good, we probably won't end up with that many mandates. But actually, the legislature having oversight doesn't necessarily make me uh, super, super comfortable. And let me explain. See, the legislature has had a few opportunities to uh, certainly put in place some legislation that would make me feel more comfortable. For an example, they could ban mass mandates in school. In fact, that bill passed, uh, I believe, the House, was sent to the Senate and died. And that bill would have banned the ability for uh, our public education uh, settings to mandate mass on children. Um, but they chose not to do with that. Uh, next day, also, this legislation legislature could have chose to not subsidize vaccine mandates in private or, or public sectors. They could have banned them completely, too. That was an option in front of them. Now, um, to talk about both these issues, what do I mean by subsidizing? Well, uh, hospitals around the state were putting in place uh, vaccine mandates under a encouragement from the Bashir administration. In fact, uh, there's one situation involving Georgetown Hospital where Dr. Stack, who was, of course, the the uh, Fauci-ish kind of guy here in Kentucky with Andy Bashir there, um, he had the the uh, he threatened Georgetown Hospital's certificate of need uh, requests uh, in order to force them to take down hiring ads they had up. They had up hiring ads to say that we don't mandate the vaccines, nurses come work here. Uh, this was during the pandemic. And um, Fauci, or Fauci, <laughs> Freudian slip, Stack uh, called them up and said, you better be taking down those ads or, you know, you're going to be in trouble. And with the amount that the government regulates uh, that situation, regulates hospitals, uh, they were basically forced to take down those ads. But on top of that, Bashir was uh, mobilizing National Guard's people to go fill in uh, positions at hospitals. And this also allowed them to go ahead and fire people. On top of that, the legislature uh, gave more money to hospitals in order to help them uh, pay more to shore up their staffing problems. And this all was going on while they were firing people for not getting vaccinated. And so, you know, if you're going to come to the state and get money to help you shore up your uh, staffing levels, well, then you shouldn't be able to just fire people uh, because of their vaccine status. Like that was a requirement they could put into it without even passing over a quote unquote government overreach line that some people felt. Um, you could, they could have, they had the option, they had the bill and once again, passed the house made to the Senate to ban uh, vaccine mandates in public institutions like public universities, government-owned institutions, um, let alone passing a law to ban uh, vaccine mandates with private employers. They chose not to do that. That didn't get passed. Um, they had a bill that they could have passed to treat um, natural immunity the same as vaccine immunity. So if you could just show you know, that you had uh, antibodies for COVID, then that would count as if you were vaccinated and 
that didn't pass. Um, and then, you know, they had legislation that was passed out of committee. This one was in the house. That legislation could have erased all COVID pandemic punishments. So businesses like mine that are still in court, still fighting with the state. That's right. My business, my coffee shop brood is still in courts fighting with Bashir, uh, over our liquor license and all this going way back to the COVID mandates. Um, you know, they could have stepped in and ended all that litigation and wiped everybody's slate clean because they were so against the mandates. They claimed they're so against the mandates, but yet they decided to not wipe the slate clean of all these private businesses that fought on the mandates or didn't follow them. So if you're against a law uh, or something that the governor's doing, um, you think you would, as a legislature, step in and say, look, all these people punished, they're not punished anymore under this. You're ridiculous. But that isn't what happened. So schools can still do mass mandates. Andy can still shut us down for 30 days at least before he calls a special session. And quite honestly, I think if the legislature was called in, we'd probably see something like an Andy Light plan. I don't think we would necessarily see the legislature uh, step in and say, um, absolutely not. There is no mandates. There's nothing else. This is ridiculous. This needs to end. I don't think that would happen because based on this legislature's behavior in the past, that isn't what they've done. Now, the only reason why this wouldn't happen, and, and this is the thing, I do not believe, now if we were three years out from election, I'd be a lot more worried. But we're just a few months out from a governor's election. So if I were you, I'd be more worried about the mandates that may come in December or January. And I'd love to say if Cameron wins, we don't have to worry about, nothing to worry about. But once again, I look at the Republican actions in the legislature. I look at those in power, especially in the Senate, and I don't feel very comfortable. And that is honestly a crying shame. And I think that sentiment is something the Cameron campaign really needs to look at. The fact that I'm not the only person who feels this way. I'm not the only person who points this out. And the fact that this is going on, that people think this way is going, I believe, to cost him uh, the election if he loses. If he loses, it'll be this type of sentiment of, you know, Cameron, we don't feel some of the biggest issues people look at, you know, people should be turning out to fight Bashir and COVID because of the overreach and everything else. And a lot of people sit there and say, I don't know if Cameron would be that drastically different compared to what we would have now with Bashir because Bashir's limited to 30 days and then the legislature takes over. So would Cameron. And the legislature is not exactly a bastion of conservative thought right now. And they certainly are not a bastion of liberties and necessarily freedoms either. Um, they are obviously there, uh, there, there's a lot of Democrat light people, especially in leadership. And so what we end up with is lackluster responses and, and halfway Republican responses to something that we really need to stand up on. And now you can look at Cameron, his actions during COVID and yeah, he did go to court on a lot of things. Um, but there's a lot of places where of course he's fallen short as well. And a lot of people point at the fact that Chris Weiss, private attorney, had to file a lot of cases first. And then Cameron joined him once he saw which way the wind was blowing on it. And so perhaps that would point to part of the discussion as well of why maybe people don't feel necessarily comfortable. So one, it'd be great um, to feel super, super comfortable with what's going on. And uh, in, in, in for that, I would like to see Cameron come out. I know he never will, but I'd love to see Cameron come out and say, look, um, 
I recognize that not even all Republicans will agree with what I'm going to say, but we're not going to have mandates. We're not going to have mass mandates. That won't happen uh, with me. I have fought in court on these issues. I have seen how these issues are played. I've seen how people have manipulated powers of, of the powers of government, the levers of power in order to get people to respond in the way they want to. I've seen that happen. That won't happen here in Kentucky. I'd love to see that, but I don't know if he has, um, the freedom of agency enough to stand up and say it. And that, I think that's unfortunate. Um, and I think him standing up and saying that I think would lead to good turnout because you need to motivate the base, which is funny is recently Damon there at the hand breakfast, uh, was in uh, those of you who follow the show. No, I don't really like that guy. Um, <laughs> he stated that, you know, we need to turn out the already Republican leaning or Republican base and, and excite them. But uh, Josh Calloway at that same breakfast uh, made a point of saying, look, Representative Josh Calloway, of look, we got to give people concrete reasons to turn out for Cameron. And that's the thing is that they recognize that, hey, we need to turn out our base. But it's almost like, you know, and it's funny, Damon, there to say that when he's the one, he's, he's part of the leadership in the Senate that's taken actions that make people feel like turning out for uh, a, a run-of-the-mill Republican maybe uh, isn't that exciting. And so that's where I think Cameron definitely has to demonstrate he's not a run-of-the-mill Republican. He is a conservative through and through, and he will stand up for us. And I'd love to start to see more of that from the campaign. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Thank you all so, so much for joining us. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day. <laughs>